It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. This is why I quit my job last summer. You know, I actually could not recognize my home state of Virginia. I'm homegrown and I love the Commonwealth of Virginia. And I was so frustrated with the Republican Party because the Republican Party had not mounted a winning campaign in over 10 years. And so I left my job and we prepared to run for governor. And what we're seeing is enormous momentum on the campaign trail because what we're hearing from Virginians is we must win, we will win. And humbly, Glenn, we're for you. And Tucker, you know, I got a huge endorsement on Sunday from Senator Ted Cruz, and that just was so humbling to me. And then uh, Governor Kevin Stitt endorsed me from Oklahoma this morning. And we're heading into our nominating convention on Saturday with just huge momentum. I'm out in front. We're campaigning twice as hard. I just finished a great rally in Augusta County, Virginia, with a huge group of folks, and Virginians are ready for a change. Yes, that was the voice of Glenn Youngkin, and that happened before this past week, and actually the vote was taken, and Glenn Youngkin is now the Republican nominee for governor. Uh, at the age of 54, he, run 50, he won 55% of the vote for the Republican delegates. Uh, he describes himself as a conservative Christian outsider, Uh, He's the former CEO of the Carlisle Group, which is a private equity firm. Okay, so here, the reason I played that for you, that's just Virginia, right? Well, because Virginia wants to take their state back. Virginia is sick of the woke move. They're in uh, northern Virginia, especially, is right uh, near D.C., and they have been fighting. Uh, They are awake. I'm telling you, Virginians are awake, and so they want to take back their state, and this is one of the big steps to do that with Glenn Youngkin as the Republican candidate for that a position. And I've been talking to you about local uh, entities getting busy organizing where you live. We've It's been a theme of the show for the last week or so. Uh, let me just tell you that Antrim County, Michigan, remember that's where they found some really specific uh, uh, data about the voting machines that applied nationwide. But in Antrim, they really tracked it down. They'll, there will be a hearing uh, a judge will rule on the evidence on May the 18th. That's a week from today. And then uh, in Maricopa County in uh, Arizona, we've been following it. Kelly Ward, who's the Republican chairman there, you will recall that the Maricopa County officials have been trying to stop this recount, which they are in the process of doing right now. And so they, the most recent wrinkle was that they refused to release the routers. Uh, Kelly, the Republican chairman, basically said yesterday that they're, they're claiming that if they hand over the routers, it will give personal information uh, which could be made public. And Kelly is refuting that completely. Said so there's an absolutely no connection to personal information with the routers that they are asking for. So there's a fight going on there. People are mad, and they're trying to take back their states. Well, uh, that's kind of an appropriate setup for today's show because as we speak, 
the For the People Act, and you know when it's called For the People, it's uh, probably not. It's SR1. It's been being introduced and discussed and marked up this morning uh, in a Senate committee. And Ken Blackwell, who was the former Ohio Secretary of State, he is also a on the board of the Public Interest Legal Foundation, and he's a good friend of mine, joins us this morning to talk about that. Ken, good morning. Good morning, Sandy. You know, when we get into the workings of the Senate, it's a little confusing, uh, Ken. What does it mean that SR1, the For the People Act, is going to be marked up today? Well, they're going to listen to uh, senators who offer amendments to uh, this, this, this uh, legislation. Uh, the Democrats are going to try to repackage it, soften it up, uh, and then force it through. Uh, the Republicans, uh, if they stick to their game plan, will resist uh, any any changes. Uh, and even if some changes are passed, they will resist the ultimate uh, uh, package because at its core, uh, this legislation is a politically motivated federal takeover of the election system that would make elections more chaotic and less and less secure. Sandy, look, as you're arguing uh, and your other efforts to empower local communities and to empower families and individuals, uh, the strength of our election system is in its decentralization and its local administration. And so S1 or HR1 uh, would force a single partisan view of elections on more than 10,000 jurisdictions uh, across across the country taking control away from state and local officials uh, who are the closest to voters and giving it to bureaucrats in Washington. This must be stopped. As you know, I'm I'm figuratively speaking, I'm on a war footing. Uh, This this is a battle. You know, there in our 245-year history, there have been inflection points, the defining moments, uh, whether it be uh, the Civil War or our response uh, to Nazism in World War II, the Civil Rights Movement, our response uh, to September the 11th, you know, how we are dealing with the pandemic. Uh, this is one of those moments, because if this legislation would pass, it would fundamentally change our constitutional republic. Yes, I think, Ken, maybe we maybe try to say it this way also. All the things that we're concerned about, and there's a bucket load of them, maybe it's the Equality Act, uh, which will uh, enshrine, you know, transgender and uh, rights of every kind of sexuality you can imagine, control our, the use of pronouns everywhere, you know, the, the restructuring of our tax code, Uh, the draconian burden on the middle class, uh, climate change issues that are coming up, abortion law, this will affect all of that. Explain that hit. You're absolutely right. And and, and symbolic of all of the things that you are talking about uh, and uh, reflective in uh, this legislation is the growing uh, of a centralized power. Uh, Look, uh, you and I have talked about this before. I repeat it over and over again. It's something that Aristotle said. He said there's a dynamic tension between the organized power uh, and, and and reach of the state, 
uh, and individual liberty. The more muscular, the more intrusive uh, the state, which is at the heart of statism, uh, the less individual liberty that we have. The, the reason America is the most robust, the most diverse, the most prosperous constitutional republic in all of human history is that our framers, our, 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 our found, nation's founders were smart enough to structure our country, our, the governance of our country, in a way that put a harness on the reach and power of government. And there are forces who keep trying to loosen up their harness, uh, and it's a direct threat uh, to our individual liberty. But as you said, you know, what we know is that the most basic form of governance in, in our culture is the family. You know, statism uh, it has at its heart the destruction of the family. To build dependence on the state, they must drive God and faith out of the public square and destroy the family. And so all of this, as you, as you stated, is interrelated. It is, a, it is a classic struggle and battle between those of us who cherish individual liberty and who understand that our fundamental rights are not grants from any government, they're gifts from God. And Ken, it's not an overstatement to say people keep talking about the 2022 election, we're going to take back the House, we're going to take back the Senate. It will be moot if this passes. It will, it will make, they will have such control of the election process and so much of what happened in the 2020 presidential election will be codified in this law, including signature ver- verification, the need for voter ID, on and on and on. It's like a, it's a wish list for the left to completely change this country. I believe that this is, this is the, the lynch point. Pin. This is the point at which we will never get anything back if this passes. Would you? Is that an overstatement? No, it's not an overstatement, and it just underscores how important our individual and collective engagement to to resist. You know, we have been, you and I, and and our our colleagues have been part of a resistance to this overreach, this power grab. Uh, by by the left to fundamentally change the nature of our constitutional uh, republic, and so we we must fight back. You know, Frederick Douglass again. This is something you you hear me say meeting after meeting after meeting. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's just as true. It's the the ten thousand time I've said it, and that is Frederick Douglass said, "Those who are whooped easiest are whooped most often." This is now time to take a to take a stand to say that we will not be defeated on this. We know what the stakes are. We know that just as our fathers and grandfathers took a stand, you know, during World War II, just as the frontliners have taken a stand in this fight against this pandemic, uh, they did it, you know, over the last 18 months, two years, they did it in 1918 uh, when the Spanish flu hit us. We, in fact, are a people who love freedom, but who also will take the risk of battle to push back against those forces that would fundamentally transform our country. You know, Ken, I have often talked with Katie Hopkins on the air and actually was with her just last week. 
And one of the things that she said in comparing Great Britain, her home country, to America, she is energized by being here. She said, you are not like us. There is a fight in Americans that the British just don't have. They just don't have it anymore. And she, she's just very encouraged and encouraging when she talks about that. Let's talk about just back to policy or back to process. What can people do, Ken? What's the most effective people thing people can do right now to stop this? It's in markup this morning. It's passed in the House already. Uh, the White House wants this. Uh, what's, what can we do to stop it? Well, we, we can continue to speak truth to power. And in this case, call your senator, the local office, call the national switchboard, and, and, and be patched through to your senator's office and register in your voice your concern, <clears throat> your your uh, resistance to this this federal takeover of our election system. Uh, we we have to have a a both a short term and long term battle. Uh, the the insiders that I talked to suggest that this could be stretched out until uh, August for a final for, uh, floor vote. But we must be ready for them to try to sneak it past us, you know, next week. <laughs> so uh, being smart, fighting smart, is, 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 is so important. There's a, there's a, there's a, uh, a strategy in boxing. It's called rope-a-dope, where you let your opponent just fail away and you protect yourself against the knockout punch. And when he is so tired, from failing away, you just knock him out. That's the rope of dope strategy. So we have to be smart. We we can't we can't we can't just shoot all our bullets, put all our energy into this week or next week. We must fight smart and understand that this will be a battle that probably will go and you know to a floor vote in in August, and we must be engaged every minute of every day of every week of every month until we just drive the stake through the heart of this legislation. Yeah, okay. Well, it's called SR1. It's the For the People Act. Uh, And uh, sometimes, you know, I just feel like even as I was prepping this morning, Ken, I didn't see enough about it. There's so much news. I didn't see enough about this. And so we have to shout it from the housetops because this is the game changer. This is this will neutralize any future elections. You might as well forget it. Uh, We will have lost the republic. That's how important I think this is. Ken Blackwell, always a pleasure. (laughs) I can't talk this morning. Always a pleasure. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Sandy Rios in the morning. AFR Talk. Hi, I'm Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. 8 Days of Hope exists to love and serve those in need. Over the past 15 years, over 40,000 volunteers have helped 7,000 families rebuild their homes for free after natural disasters. We've also renovated and rebuilt facilities to bring hope and healing to those rescued from sex trafficking. Our rapid response ministry is busier than ever. With 40 deployments over the last four years, we've been able to minister to so many when it mattered most. It's completely free to serve with us. We provide your food and lodging when you volunteer. There's countless opportunities for any skill set and any skill level. 
We spend multiple weeks with those that have lost so much by cutting trees, tarping roofs, mucking out houses, and so much more. Consider joining us on our next outreach. You will never be the same. For more information about 8 Days of Hope, please go to 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Mary G. Ryan, Administrator for the U.S. Alcohol, Tobacco, and Trade Bureau. The TTB regulates and collects taxes on trade and imports of alcohol, tobacco, and firearms in the United States. Romans 13.7 reminds us of the importance of paying the taxes we owe. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Mary G. Ryan in her daily task. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Again, that's "Go Visit" to the number 49596. There is a war on religious liberty across the globe. Here in the United States, churches are still struggling to reopen in the aftermath of the China virus pandemic. In Canada, pastors are being arrested, jailed for preaching the gospel in defiance of government health orders. And in London, an even more egregious attack on religious liberty. The chaplain of a boarding school was fired and reported to the government because he did not bow down to the LGBT agenda. The Reverend Bernard Randall's crime was telling kids it was okay to question gay policies. School leaders claimed the chaplain's message was harmful to gay students. They also reported the chaplain to an organization that targets violent religious extremists. That's right, folks. The chaplain is accused of being a terrorist. Reverend Randall is suing the school for discrimination, as he should. Gay rights do not trump religious liberty. Be sure to read more about this story at ToddStarns.com. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Let's get to Steve because he's got the number. Okay, good. 1.08. Steve, the number. Uh, Wow, it just came across. Give me a second here. Uh, We have the number here. Just came across. Ah, Sorry about that. It came across very quickly here. It looks like 266,000. It looks like it was a big disappointment at 266, but maybe I have that wrong. Let me double check the Bureau website here. Uh, one second. Uh, yes, 266 is correct. Unemployment change, little change is 6.1%. So we have some issues here. 266,000. Uh, long-term unemployed. Big revision. Yes, that's what I'm... Last month, not hear 770 me there? versus 916. Yes. Uh, minus 78,000 on the revision. If we look at manufacturing, change in private payrolls, it was only 218,000. 
uh, manufacturing minus 18,000. The unemployment rate went up to 6.1. Average hourly earnings rocketing up seven tenths. Year over year up three tenths on earnings. And uh, average work week strong, 35. And here we go, 61.7 on the uh, labor force partition, uh, participation rate. Okay, so that was the jobs report that came out last Friday. That was CNBC, and oops, wait a second. No, I must have gotten that wrong. That can't, wait a second, wait a second. That Let me read that again. Oh, this must be wrong, because they were expecting a million jobs to be added, and only 266,000 were added. That's not good. And so I've asked Steve Moore, who is a an economist. I knew Steve when he worked with the Wall Street Journal. He's worked for Heritage Foundation. He went on to be an economist with the Trump administration, and he is the founder of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and he joins us this morning. Good morning, Steve. Hi, Sandy. Good morning. Okay. What's going on with jobs? Is it all about uh, the stimulus package? What do you think? Well, you know, I had predicted with my buddy uh, uh, Casey Mulligan, who's one of the top economists at the University of Chicago, we had put out a study about three or four months ago that none of the Biden people uh, paid any attention to, which estimated that if we uh, continue to provide these supersized unemployment benefits, food stamps, uh, increases uh, increases in free health care, the $3,000 checks per person, that you're going to have a very negative effect on the uh, willingness of Americans to go back to work because they would actually lose money if they went back to their jobs rather than continued to collect government benefits. And that's exactly what's happened. You know, we now have um, several million people who are not working because, uh, Sandy, and by the way, I'm not saying they're lazy. Government has, uh, Uncle Sam has provided so much money that they're making a financial decision uh, not to go back to work because they would would actually get a smaller paycheck than they're getting from the government. That's a really stupid policy. It should be repealed immediately. Uh, Joe Biden said on Friday when the report came out, oh, there's no indication that these unemployment benefits and food stamp benefits are having a negative effect. And, you know, it's as clear as the nose on your face. Oh, by the way, from coast to coast, Sandy, from all the way from California to Maine, you know, in every village, every town, every city in America, all you see is, uh, is help wanted sites, restaurants, bars. Yes, uh, exactly. Sites. Um, you know, so it's, it's, I'm, you can sense the frustration in my voice because it's so stupid. I mean, why would we, you know, we're all in favor of a safety net for people who lose their job. I mean, I've lost my job before, and you, you get the, you know, the um, benefits for a few months so you get your feet back on the ground. But it was never meant to provide people more money for not working than for working. Well, you know, remember the Republicans, on that first stimulus, Republicans were shouting. I think it was when President Trump was still uh, the first yep. COVID stimulus plan, and Republicans were complaining about it then, saying you can't, you're not, you're disincentivizing yep. people to work. You were probably one exactly. of the Republicans saying that, I'm guessing. Um, but um, they did it anyway, and now with this last stimulus plan under President Biden, it only got worse. Now you have some uh, some governors responding. Uh, Governor DeSantis, I could do a whole show, I think, every day on Governor DeSantis <laughs> right. and and his latest wonderful things. Uh, but yeah. he is telling unemployed in Floridians to just start looking for a job. But you are not, unless you can prove you're looking for work, you're not going to draw benefits by, after the end of May. Yeah. What do you think about and that approach? So, yeah, so I like that idea. And, and uh, look, I, again, a safety net is fine. You know, you provide people some temporary help uh, and you get them an incentive to get back in the workforce as quickly as possible. We have people now, Sandy, <clears throat> for 14 months haven't worked. 
you know, that's a bad thing for America. Yes. It's bad for our businesses, but it's bad for the workers. I mean, you're, you're, if you haven't worked for 14 months, your, your skills, uh, you know, uh, you get a kind of sclerosis of your work skills. And that, that's a very, uh, you know, bad thing. And then, you know, obviously there's dignity and there's self-worth and, and working. There's not a lot I call the, you know, a lot of the unemployed, they said that's like unemployed. There are people sitting on the couch watching TV when they should be out working. There are seven, almost 7.3 million job openings in America today. So unlike a year ago, when we were you know, providing unemployment benefits because the businesses were shut down and the jobs weren't there, we have the opposite problem now. You know, we have we have uh, almost as many job openings as we do unemployed people. So it's a, the, the idea that oh, gee, these people can't find jobs. The jobs are out there, and uh, we got to get people back to work. Now, look. Uh, that being said, I, I think the economy is really strong right now, really strong. And I think we're looking at you know the rest of the year, uh, thanks to Operation Warp Speed and Trump's incredible economic revival, which you know Biden is kind of riding on the coattails of that. I think. We're going to see a really good um, next six months. What worries me, Sandy, is the massive amount of debt, the massive amount yes. of spending, and the massive amount of taxing yeah. that yeah. Biden wants to do, which is exactly the opposite thing you want to do with, with a recovering economy. You know, I read a report last week, I think it was, that our actual debt is $123 trillion. Is that, uh, uh, yeah. looking at what, and let me just say, I, I remember talking to a senator in an elevator, just the two of us, a long time ago. I'm saying in excess of probably 10 years ago. And he said, he talked to me, he said, Sandy, nobody's talking about the debt. He said, but we are in such terrible trouble. And uh, Steve, I, is $123 trillion sound outrageous to you? Do you think that's actually a number? Well, you know, that's including these unfunded liabilities of Social Security, Medicare, and so on. But, you know, the, the actual... Uh, you know, publicly held debt is now, uh, you know, above for the first time since the end of World War II when we had to borrow to, you know, beat the Nazis and, and, uh, and beat the Japanese. We have a debt that's now larger than our entire uh, one-year national economy. I mean, that's a very scary figure when you think about it. And, you know, Biden is just getting started, right? I mean, you know, the, the, he wants another four trillion dollars of spending. That's the last thing we need right now. We want another two and a half trillion dollars of taxes. That's the last thing we need right now. You know, right now, Sandy, frankly, as an accountant, I'd say, you know what the best thing the government could do right now? No. <laughs> what is the best yeah, thing the government could do right now? Way. Get out of the way. Oh, uh, yeah, get really. Out of the way. Let the pre- well, on everything. On everything. Yeah. Of course, they can't well, do that. But. You have a nicer way of saying, I keep, th- this is my way of saying the same thing. I wish Washington, D.C. would sink into a big hole. I don't want people to die. I just want it to sink and disappear. Because if we could do without, yeah. you know, cut off the head of the snake, we would, the states would do fine. We would do so much better. Yeah, there is a mess. But, but Steve, you know, I, I'm, you and I both know about, uh, we know about socialism, communism. We know what's behind this, and we understand uh, that when people are out of work, they become dependent on government, and that is yeah. the end game for the leftists. Uh, but what it about is. this and What about the, this overspending? I don't, look, they're in the same boat we're in. I mean, if, if we, this debt is going to kill us, and it's them yeah. too, how are they going to get out of that sinking boat? What are well, they thinking? We got to start paying our bills. You know, we have to, first of all, you stop the spending, right? You stop the spending. And so that's why this idea of another $4 trillion. And folks, you know, $4 trillion, that's more money than the United States government borrowed, you know, adjusted for inflation 
to uh, finance the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, World War One, World War II. I mean, we're talking about massive amounts of government spending at a time when, as I said, I think that you know the best solution: get people vaccinated, which we've done a great job of doing, thanks to Trump. Uh, get get businesses reopened, which is happening, and uh, and and give incentives to uh, give workers an incentive to get back on the job. And then I think, you know, by the way, by the end of June, we will have 100 percent recovered. In other words, our GDP will be back where it was at the end of 2019 before the pandemic hit. That's a great, great, great achievement. I mean, Trump, I think, is going to go down as one of our great presidents for what he has done through this terrible crisis. And Europe is still in a recession right now. So, you know, just, again, let's get the incentives right. We all want Americans to get back to work. And Americans want to get back to work. We just have to stop paying them not to work. Uh, Sandy, I got to run. I got to do a fax interview in a few minutes. But I always appreciate the opportunity to come on your show. And I hope we can do it again soon. All right, Steve, you you let me down again. You go early every time. I had so many more things to ask you about, but we'll we'll do it again. <laughs> we'll do it soon, I promise. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, okay. Bye bye. You know, I'm going to say publicly that's the third time he's done that to me, and I almost didn't book him today because of it. Okay. So I don't know what the problem is with Steve Moore, but I never criticize guests, but that's it for him. And I I want to say that inflation is another situation that we have to deal with. Prices for all kinds of goods are going up. You probably noticed that. That's including toilet paper and diapers and soft drinks, your plane tickets, obviously, because uh, energy prices are up. Food prices are up. You're probably seeing that in the grocery store. And some appliances, like Whirlpool is one of them, they're raising the cost of their appliances by 12%. So gas prices have also surged. Uh, so um, experts are, and you notice that, right? Look, when gas prices go up, that means everything goes up because the goods that come to you have to be transported either by freight or by truck or by train, and those that it takes energy to bring them to you. And then also some of, a lot of the things that are manufactured are manufactured with uh, petroleum products, uh, plastics and other things like that. And that means that when all of that goes up, then the prices for everything go up. I'm not as optimistic as Steve is. Uh, I, I appreciate his optimism. And he is an economist, so I'm hoping that he's right and I'm wrong. But I see trouble on the horizon here. I, I would also say that this pipeline, the colonial pipeline, uh, that was sabotaged or, uh, you know, um, had a, a cyber attack over the weekend is very serious business. We're learning that the Colonial Pipeline, it really, as you probably have been hearing, I think they, they supply something like half of the fuel and energy for the East Coast. Uh, and that doesn't, and they, it comes from Texas onto the East Coast, and now it has been shut down. There's only part of it that's opened up this far. In fact, North Carolina has declared a state of emergency over that temporary outage and that cybersecurity attack. And here's the irony of this thing. This, uh, the FBI has identified the, the organization that has attacked uh, the Colonial Pipeline. It's called the Dark Side. The dark, they know, the FBI knows about them. And what they do is they claim, you know, that they, oh, they, okay, they, I wish I, I don't have their words in front of me, but basically they say, we are non-political. Uh, we just, we just want to make money. And so what we do is we uh, take, we take the information from these companies. They've, they've attacked major corporations and companies and we put it on the dark web somewhere and release it unless they pay a ransom. 
So that's what's happening. And meanwhile, your gas prices are going you know, are going to skyrocket, and they're going to skyrocket more. And, and what's the the comment? Look, that's we could say this is just an interesting thing that's happened in the middle of nowhere. But the uh, I don't I I just the coincidence is too great for me. The fact that the left wants us uh, to not drive cars, certainly not cars that are uh, fueled by fossil fuel, gasoline, oil, uh, um, diesel. They don't want that to happen. Remember, Katie Hopkins told us. Uh, maybe you, maybe you not don't remember the last time uh, she was with me in person last week, but we weren't on the air together. Uh, she's talking about how in Great Britain right now there is a you can't travel more than a seven mile radius from your home, uh, and they are no longer selling cars that operate using fossil fuels. You cannot buy a car that uses gasoline or diesel. They are phasing out automobiles. And I'm telling you, that's what they want all over the world. Who is they? I don't know. Who is they? Who, who are the left? Who are the, the string pullers? I don't know, but this is their goal. It's control of you so that you cannot travel, control over your entire life, your health care. Uh, and they won't be controlled. If you've ever been to, well, I could just say I've been to North Korea. I saw how Kim, at the time, Kim, Il, Kim Jong-il lived. Uh, he lived very high. He had a gambling casino to him, himself while his people were starving to death, cannibalizing one another. That didn't bother him at all because he had special foods flown in from all over the world. This is what we're talking about. Oh, I don't know about the special foods and the cannibalization. I'm just I'm talking about the principle of people who control the world, living high, indulging themselves, wielding power, while the people like you and me and Americans and people across the globe have to scrape to survive, that's just okay with the totalitarians among us. And that's why, that's why I believe somehow, this is a speculation on my part, uh, but it is just interesting, isn't it, that there should be this cyber attack in the midst of this attack on fossil fuel vehicles that suddenly gasoline prices are going up, they're skyrocketing, and that's going to make it so difficult for middle-class people and poor people uh, to manage their driving, to take their kids to work. Some people drive, you know, a long distance even to just get to work. In big states like Texas, people have to drive across the globe, you know, to uh, across the globe, across the state, lots of miles. When I lived in uh, Chicago, I drove a long way every day to work. I was, we were just used to it. Uh, and so it's going to be very difficult, and it is intentional. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying the dark side is, you know, connected with the Biden administration. I wouldn't go so far as that. Uh, no, I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, well, who knows, really? Who knows? And the FBI is, you know, like, oh, well, you know, this uh, company, they should have Colonial Pipeline. They should have had a stronger security. It's really their fault. And so they stand back. The Biden administration is saying it's up to the company whether they pay that ransom or not. We can't do anything about it. It uh, sounds like a just, I just smells to me. And meanwhile, the people are going to suffer. So don't forget that. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. In his image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture to back it up. The testimonies were very powerful. If it's a prodigal child that has just run away, or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction, there's hope. 
in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. How much does a six-month subscription to the AFA Journal cost? It's free! For six months, you can read articles and updates in the pro-life movement. You can read about family-friendly entertainment, laws that may impact your family or your business, and of course, what the American Family Association is up to and how you can help. So what are you waiting for? Visit afajournal.org for your free six-month subscription to the AFA Journal. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. At the climax of the account, when Jesus restored Peter's personal relationship with him and Peter's call to ministry, he saw John following them. Jesus had just predicted that Peter would give his life for the gospel when Peter said, What about John, Lord? Jesus responded, What does he have to do with your calling? You follow me. With those words, Jesus hit a consistent flaw of the human condition. We derive value and self-worth by comparing ourselves to other people. Your ups, your downs, your failures, your victories were never meant to be compared to other people. We have been called to serve an audience of one. The only approval you need is His. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Ryan Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. Arthur Pavlovsky is the pastor of a church in Canada. On Sunday, he was arrested by a SWAT team, hogtied, and dragged across the pavement. His crime, if you can believe it, was for inciting people to attend church. Yes, his crime was incitement, incitement of the worship of Almighty God. Canadian authorities are using COVID as their phony excuse to deprive Pastor Pavlovsky of every right he is guaranteed under Canada's Charter of Liberties and making a mockery of religious liberty. This is a warning shot across the bow of the American church, too. Under Democrat leadership, we have already seen medical tyrants prohibit the free exercise of religion. American pastors must obey God rather than man, even if it means risking arrest. So, Pastor, I ask you, what will you do when they come for you? Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Foreign enemies have taken offline a huge piece of our nation's critical infrastructure, the Colonial Pipeline Network that supplies roughly 45% of the eastern United States' requirements for oil, gas, and jet fuel. It's unclear precisely who is responsible for this potentially devastating cyber attack on Americans and their economy. What we can say for sure is that if we don't make our critical infrastructure resilient, there will be more, and even worse, disruptions in the future. For example, we now have in our most critical infrastructure, namely the U.S. electric grid, as many as 300 high-voltage transformers manufactured in communist China. It's a virtual certitude that Beijing's vast cyber warfare capabilities could easily shut down and probably destroy those huge devices, precipitating widespread and enduring blackouts across America. Want to upgrade our infrastructure? Start with making it resilient. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. 
We've also worked hard to establish a number of mutually beneficial relationships with many officials throughout China. Uh, we're inspired by their vision and we're grateful that they share many of our beliefs, including one about the importance of intellectual property protection. That's funny. That's really funny. <laughs> that, I'm sorry. Intellectual property protection. China has been stealing intellectual property from us since, uh, let's see, since the Clinton years. The Clintons actually turned over a lot of intellectual property that belonged to American intelligence to the Chinese. Uh, yeah, so they've been infiltrating our universities. That just stuns me, honestly, but that's just part of a, of a uh, speech that was made by uh, none other than Bob Iger, who was the former chairman and CEO of Walt Disney Company, and that was in 2011. Okay, so let me give you the context. Uh, he made his remarks at the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, their gala, in 2011. He was the event's honoree. Uh, he said that uh, Disney was inspired by the vision of Chinese communist apparatchiks while speaking at the NCUSCR, that's the organizing body that had the gala, and they are the ones who advocate for cl- advocated for closer ties between the U.S. and China and frequently hosted events alongside Chinese Communist Party officials. He also went on to say, we've also worked hard to establish a number of mutually beneficial relationships with many officials throughout China. We are inspired by their vision, and we're grateful that they share many of our beliefs, including one about the importance of intellectual property protection. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, how can people be so stupid back then and now? He goes on, I've watched China emerge into a global economic force, an inspiring source of great innovation, offering opportunities that we see as virtually unlimited. And the Walt Disney Company has certainly been increasing its presence in that vast country. And he goes on and on and on. And so here's the thing. Iger was uh, representative of a lot of CEOs and companies uh, that since the, I would say since the George Herbert Walker Bush years, that's my memory uh, have been on the fast track to working with China. And the notion was that if we, Red China was silent for decades, it was Richard Nixon who opened up uh, t- talks with China for the first time in decades. And actually the whole notion of trading with them started with his administration, but it didn't really start happening until, I think, the George Herbert Walker Bush administration. And companies saw, you know, salivated, smacked their lips, and they told us free trade was great. It became like the, the mantra of the business community, of the Chamber of Commerce. And, and that's when manufacturing began to be, well, let's see, outsourced to China, where there was cheap labor. And they do excellent work. They do. They do wonderful, detailed work. And they work hard. And they have, well, slave labor. So it's kind of cheaper for companies to go over there. And that's why Americans lost their jobs. And that's why we stopped making cars and uh, all the other things, like our, our medicines we found out through the COVID uh, pandemic that we didn't, we, we stopped making our you know, antibiotics and things here for our people. We outsourced it all to China. That was, and the idea was, of course, that they, we would trade, and then all of our stores are filled with made in China goods, whether it's Walmart or uh, Target or, you know, almost anywhere. It's made in China, made in China, made in China, made in China. People in America don't seem to know how to make anything anymore. At least for decades, that was the way. And the business community told us that if we just, you know, open the trade with China, then I know that they're, I know they're a communist country, and I, I know that's a little bit of a problem. 
But you know what? If we get them involved in our economy, they'll take our debt. Uh, they'll buy buildings here. They'll move. We'll have all these um, exchanges, and they will come to see things the way we see them. We will persuade them to freedom. Uh, and uh, by working with them, you know, that will bring them close to us, and uh, they will become more like us. And sir, surely not a threat to us because, because they've got too many vested interests. When actually what has happened is just the opposite. China has been around a culture for, what, a couple of thousand years? They believe in the long game, and they played it, and they played it well. They own a ton of our debt. They've infiltrated our colleges and universities, stolen our intellectual property, taken away our manufacturing, made us dependent, uh, created, we, well, we willfully con- uh, contributed to this. All of us are uh, consumers, and we consume more than we should of cheap Chinese goods. And I just read to you yesterday this horrific new training program that's been embraced by Walt, the Walt Disney Company. Of um, it's I, I read it yesterday. I don't. I should repeat it. I guess I should a little bit here. The Walt Disney Company is their mission is to entertain, inform, and inspire people. But now they're going to be giving lectures about race and white privilege. It's called Reimagine Tomorrow. Uh, it's described as a diversity and inclusion program. They're teaching their employees that America was founded on systemic racism and encouraging a new employee to take ownership of educating yourself about structural anti-black racism. The concepts will be such as white privilege, white fragility, white saviors, microaggressions, and anti-racism. I can't wait to hear about that as we're going through Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, you know, or it's a small world after all. I'm just wondering how that's going to be. Maybe the maybe the small world after all uh, attraction will have, they'll all be uh, uh, Chinese. They'll, uh, it'll be just one world and they'll all be Chinese. I don't know, but um, this is what's happening with Disney. And you have to know that the Chinese uh, have been deeply involved in the, in the divisions in this country. This whole notion of dividing people over race, uh, thats the whole racism thing uh, has been stoked by the Chinese. And so this is perfect. This is just perfect. So whereas Iger and others thought that China would come around and they would love free market principles and we'd all get along, and by the way, we'd get rich. Businesses would get rich, and they did. They made a ton of money, while Americans, the middle class, suffered. And uh, it was only Donald Trump that came in and fought against the Chinese. He said it from the very beginning, before he ever became the nominee. The Chinese, we've got China. Remember China? (laughs) How you'd always say that. Because he understood what a danger they had become, and he went to war with them. And by the way, nearly defeated them. He shrunk their economy significantly, and that's why they reared up in anger and uh, participated uh, in polluting and uh, in destroying him and also then, I think, influencing the really bad things that happened on January the 6th. So that's the, that's my story about China for today. And um, I just think you better reconsider your affiliation and love for Disney. I, I, uh, I reexamined mine a long time ago. I've not been uh, supporting Disney for 20 years. I did break that when my, ch- my grandchildren came uh, four and a half years ago. I went for the first time in probably 20 years. I'm not proud of that. Just I'm just confessing. I want to be very clear with you. But I, I just don't think I can go. I don't. How can we support that? Uh, they are embracing everything radical. And, uh, and they do it all in the guise of princesses and smiles and characters. It's just, no, no way. 
And so uh, uh, there are other things you can tell your children about. There are other things that you can introduce them to. Uh, you, you know, no one's going to die if they don't embrace, you know, Disneyland and Mickey Mouse. Uh, there will be no deaths in the family on account of that, but there may be some terrible damage done to your children if they begin to associate Disney with the woke policies of the left. And moving to another one, <clears throat> excuse me, this is a, uh, over the weekend, I watched several videos, and some of them are described in Daniel Horowitz's recent article about how the police are responding to these Black Lives Matter roadblocks. And so I want to read part of this to you. This is Daniel Horowitz's article, Police Now Enforcing Rather Than Dismantling Violent Black Lives Matter Roadblocks. Um, Daniel says, Our citizens are being attacked with impunity by Black Lives Matter rioters while driving in random places, including residential neighborhoods. Not only are the police nowhere to be seen in deterring and punishing those who attack motorists, they are actually protecting the illegal checkpoints set up by Black Lives Matter and targeting those who defend themselves. If this is the world we live in now, why not abolish the police for real so we can defend ourselves amid the anarchy? At this point, the only function the police are serving is to protect the murderous thugs from peaceful citizens. I would amend that to say that not everywhere is that true, uh, but it is true in the cases that he's going to cite because I saw the videos also. For instance, Joe Hall, you may have seen him in a video over the weekend, a former Marine. Uh, he was in Portland. He was driving his truck uh, through a blockade. Well, he was approaching. He was just approaching an intersection, and they had blockaded. Uh, and uh, let me go back to, to Daniel's uh, text here. His path was blocked by violent Black Lives Matter protests. Tests. This could have happened to anyone and will continue to victimize innocent Americans, especially if they have a conservative bumper sticker on their car. Hall was surrounded by a mob of people with long guns. Uh, according to a firsthand account he gave the local media, he did what any citizens would do. He took out his own pistol and pointed it at the ground as a warning. He hesitated, however, and did not shoot, a decision he later chalked up to fear prosecution due to the two-tiered justice system. Consequently, he was tackled from behind, lost control of his weapon, and was severely beaten. He was left with five broken ribs, a dislocated shoulder, a broken collarbone, a collapsed lung, and a broken eye socket. He had a Trump sticker on his pickup truck, and that was a violation of the government-sanctioned BLM street checkpoints. The Portland police failed to intervene at all, despite widespread reports of the city of violent blockades being set up at major roadways. Hall had to call 911 himself to get an ambulance, and... Um, Police said they were aware of the attacks, but they did not come to the scene. Not a single BLM marcher was arrested for blocking traffic, assaulting, or drawing weapons. And in an emotional interview with uh, uh, Larson, I can't think of his first name. It just says Larson here, and I can't think of his first name. In other words, he's a talk show host. In other words, police have now become enforcers of the ultimate anarchy. Lars Larson, that's his name. Lest you think this is limited to Portland, the same thing happened in Plano, Texas. I saw this one too. Perhaps you did. By the way, The Blaze is doing a great job of covering these things. I should tell you that so that you can watch yourself. The Blaze, that's a, uh, that's a combination of Glenn Beck and uh, Mark Levin. They've joined efforts on that, ef- uh, on that outlet, and it's great. There's a viral video of a man getting out of his car after Black Lives Matter uh, rioters blocked a major roadway in Plano last week in front of policemen. Rather than clearing the illegal checkpoint and arresting every one of the lawbreakers, the cowardly officer donning a face mask outdoors escorted the motorist back to his car to ensure he couldn't clear the checkpoint himself. 
something like that happened in Stillwater, Minnesota, where Black Lives Matter protested a motorist from reaching his home in his own neighborhood. I saw that one, too. It's just shocking, and he's right. Daniel is right. In those particular cases, the police just uh, expedited the the rioters. They did nothing to them. Uh, they tried to get—it was as though the people that were trying to defend themselves in their cars were the perpetrators. Well, I want to leave you with something. I said earlier with Steve Moore that I could do a whole show on uh, the things that Governor Ron DeSantis is doing but in response to that, by the way, Black Lives Matter was in Florida over the weekend. Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene did a rally in the villages, and outside the villages, well, outside that rally, uh, um, Black Lives Matter and Antifa showed up. And so, uh, I think in response, I think in response to that, the, certainly the timing seems to indicate that Governor Ron DeSantis stood up, and this is what he said. Have you seen in some of these cities, whenever there's a little bit of unrest, literally there'll be a U-Haul that just gets left there, and there's all this stuff in the back of it for these people to do all this stuff. And so we don't want that coming to Florida. Um, there's a lot of places around this country that have not stood by law enforcement, and the tragedy of it is uh, you're seeing crime spike in certain parts of our country like we haven't seen in decades. And the people that are going to be most affected by that are the most vulnerable members of our society. And in fact, when these guys are getting called out, they're usually getting called out to help victims who can't defend for themselves. And so they need people to, who wear the uniform to be able to go out and to be able to protect them and to be able to provide a measure of justice when they're being harmed. And what I've seen throughout the country is uh, people stepping back from this, not supporting law enforcement, being very lax, allowing more and more of this to happen and it's caused increases in crime, and that is going to have devastating consequences. I mean, you know, it's so good to have a good economy, you know, schools, all these great things that we always fight for. All of that collapses if you don't have public order and public safety. And so one of the reasons we're here today with the bonuses is because we know just how important that is. And so I think that uh, what we did uh, plants our flag in the ground. It tells people, hey, if you're in Portland, you think you can come down to Florida and do this, stay out of our state. Uh, we, don't, we don't want you coming down here and causing problems. And if anyone does cause these problems, if you try to burn something down, you try to harm uh, anybody, but particularly a police officer uh, during one of these, um, during one of these uh, violent assemblies, uh, there will be consequences. There will be, will be consequences. And so you heard what he said. He's playing bonuses to policemen, and he's warning Antifa and Black Lives Matter and rioters, don't come here. There will be consequences. We need more governors like DeSantis. Do we not? Sandy Rios in the morning, AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.